Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault. Um, I'm Ethan Renault. I forgot which episode this num- number this is, um, but I have a really, really great guest that I'm super excited for. His name is Beckett Cook. He um, just put out a book called A Change of Affection, and the truth is, Beckett and I have been trying to put together this interview for... I don't know, how many months would you say, Beckett? Like six months or something? And we're finally talking? I think so, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, uh, we've been going back and forth, um, like, way back, way before I left Guatemala. And we're finally getting to do it, so I'm super excited. So, Beckett Cook, thanks so much for being on uh, with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. Yeah, of course. I'm sure some of you don't know who Beckett is, so let me introduce what I know about you. Um, and then I'll just let you kind of talk about yourself for a little while. Okay. Okay. Um, so what I know about Beckett is I'm friends with him on Facebook and he's just constantly posting like, Oh, just casually working with Kendall Jenner today or, Oh, look me and Cara Delevingne or whoever you say. Cara Delevingne. Yeah. And, and I don't know exactly what you'll do, what you do. You'll have to fill us in a little bit more about what exactly you do. Um, but Beckett lives in LA is that correct? You still yes. live in L.A.? Yes. Live in L.A. And lately, he's kind of been blowing up with being on, like, the Eric Metaxas show, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, you were on the 700 Club. You were on uh, – you had an article about your book in the Gospel Coalition and all this stuff. And all I'm wondering is how do I get my books to be that successful? <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, it seems like the book is really taken off. I'm really stoked about that. I want to hear more about that in a little bit. But for now, why don't you tell us whatever you want people to know about you um, that I missed? Yeah, I mean, in terms of what I do in L.A., it, I do production design or set design, uh, as it's sometimes called. Which is, and I do it for in the fashion world. So I do like uh, set design for the covers of you know Vogue or Harper's Bazaar, or um, you know for ad campaigns for Gap or YSL or or those kind of big brands like that Nike, um, and so that's kind of what I've been doing for the last twenty years in LA, and um, and uh, so yeah, that's kind of my my job. But in terms of my, uh, my kind of history in LA, I, I, what the book, you know, a change of affection, what, what it's really about, it's my story. And, um, Mm -hmm. so I, I talk, I go back into my childhood and I, I talk about how at a very young age, I started to experience same sex attraction and in Dallas, Texas, where I was raised and I was raised in the Catholic church went to Catholic schools my whole life. And, and so I had this kind of weird double life where I was, I was attracted to the same sex on, you know, internally, but on the outside, I was just kind of this popular kid in school who dated, it went steady with girls. And so in in Mm. elementary school and high school and, um, and, and so it was this weird kind of double life I led. And Mm. in high school, I went to an all boys high school in Dallas and I, and I met a guy in my school and we became best friends. And then we ended up coming out to each other as gay. 
in high school. So mm-hmm. it, that was kind of a major turning point because I finally had someone I could confide in. And we ended up, I don't know how we got into these bars or clubs, but we were like, you know, 15, 14. We, we ended up going mm-hmm. to gay bars and, and, and exploring gay culture in, in Dallas. And, and really, it was the first time I was like, wow, this is like, these are my people and hmm. I can't believe that, that these people exist and they're just like me. And, and um, you know, I went to clubs in Dallas and I remember there was this one club in Dallas called the Stark Club, which was designed by the fr- famous French designer Philippe Stark. And, and uh, it, I, I think it was owned by Stevie Nicks and, and someone else, but, um, and Grace Jones. But I remember walking into this club and seeing, you know, it was a mix of like, straight people, gay people, uh, at the time we called them, I think, trannies, but (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. trans, you know, transgender people. And, um, and I just remember uh, walking into the star club and being like, ah, like I'm finally home. Like I feel at home here. And because I felt like such a, even though I was popular and stuff, I felt like kind of a misfit. And I felt like I didn't really fit in with, with that group. And so I just, when I got to these places, I was like, oh, I'm home. Like, these are my people. And, and so that happened in in high school. And then in college, the same situation happened. I ended up meeting uh, a a friend in, in college and he, he and I came out to each other as gay. It was this whole kind of dramatic thing. And then, um, and then we, again, we explored gay culture together. We went to bars and, and so in college, again, I had someone to, to confide in because I still wasn't really out. I was still pretty much in the closet. And, and then after college, I moved to Tokyo for a year with my best friend from college. And because we both were at this crossroads, we were both kind of like, I was supposed to go to medical school. He was supposed to go to law school. And, but neither of us wanted to do that. And so we realized that... The, <laughs> after four years of like grueling study oh by the way I don't want to do that now Mm -hmm. and so um so we 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 moved to Tokyo to kind of figure out what our life you know what figure out what to do with our lives and we taught English in Tokyo and and um I took the LSAT in Tokyo for for the law school admissions test and uh just because I wanted another backup option I didn't know what to do and and I did really well in the LSAT applied to law schools, got into several law schools in, in the States. And so when I came back to, oh, in Tokyo also, I, uh, we had a friend, uh, my roommate ha- had a friend visit us from Dallas. And uh, that's when it was the first time I fell in love. And uh, we, that's when I was like, okay, this is who I am. This is my identity. And I, that's when I came out to everyone. I came out to my family, my friends. Um, and, and that's, that's really kind of like when homosexuality as my identity was completely cemented. And, um, and so anyway, I came back to that relationship lasted a couple of years. It was very rocky but it mm-hmm. but it was intense and then i after that i moved to la to pursue writing and acting and um and then i 
you know, I did, I did some acting. I did a lot of commercials, acting in commercials, and I did uh, some writing. I sold a couple of, of TV projects. But it was kind of not really taking off fully, and that's when I fell into set design. And uh, that's kind of what took off, and that's what I had, I've been doing since. And, and then, um, you know, in, in, in L.A., I got, you know, into this, my group of friends. There were A lot of them were from my high school who lived out here, and we, it was a really fun crowd of friends. They were all from uh, Brown University and Princeton University. There, So there was these okay. really smart, kind of uh-huh. um, really funny people. And then we were all, everyone in our group was a, you know, a, a writer, director, actor, producer. And, and everyone was becoming successful. As, you know, every day, like, you know, every week or so, someone in my group would, would just suddenly go, you know, just make it. It was crazy. It was like hmm. Doug Lyman just, you know, just made the movie Swingers and like it became a huge hit. And like, wow. and like uh, Minnie Driver was in our group and then she became a movie star, you know, after no Good Will Hunting. And, and so all these people in my group were just, it was cool. It was interesting to see because everyone was really achieving. And that's what we, that's what we did. I mean, that, in LA, it's like we had two goals. We had the goal of, you know, making, being successful and, uh, you know, making it big in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. the second goal was to find true love. So we were always like looking for, you know, trying for both of those things. And so that was kind of our raison d'etre, if you, if you will. And, uh, and then, you know, God was not even an uh, God was not even an option for me because mm-hmm. I knew I was gay and I knew that Christianity that it was you know forbidden according to the Bible and Christianity and so I was like okay I'm never going to be a part of that club and uh, so God was never even an option for me and I never even thought about God out here. In fact, no one in my friend group. Not even once over many, many years did no one mention the word God once. Hmm. And so it was just assumed that God didn't exist. It was assumed that God was for people and, you know, fly, it would just fly over states that didn't know any better or whatever. It just was like this, it was like, you know, we just, we knew, of course, that it was a myth, you know, because we were like these coastal elites or whatever. We knew it was a myth. Um, Yeah. But, and so that God was never really spoken about. And then, and then, um, so I was doing all the, you know, I was, because my friends were becoming really successful. I mean, I was doing all this fun stuff. I was going to the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the, the, all the after parties, the Vanity Fair party, the, um, I was going to, uh, you know, dinner parties at, at, major movie stars houses and and just you know it was just kind of I was living this really fun life and that's what part of what I felt like okay this is this is what life is all about it's about having these really great experiences and yeah and I was really having them and I it was fun for a long long time you know there'd be things where I would just be invited to a party and it was at Prince's house up in Benedict Canyon up in Beverly Hills and Wow. And like, I remember walking into his house, it was a rented house. He has a house in, uh, I think Minneapolis or something, but anyway, he, he had a house out here too. And I remember walking in and just 
looking out in the backyard, which was gigantic. And uh, there was a stage set up with his symbol on it. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to perform tonight. And he performed for, like, three hours, like, just hmm. to, like, you know, a few people at his backyard. It was crazy. And so those kinds of things were happening all the time. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I was going to Fashion Week in New York, and I was going to Fashion Weeks in Paris. And everything was really fun for a long time. And I was in and out of, like, five serious relationships. And... Hmm. And then suddenly, not suddenly, but slowly the law of diminishing returns kind of set in. And I just, uh, it took a very strong turn in, in March of 2009. That's when I had this kind of seminal moment. I was in Paris at Fashion Week and I had gone to a bunch of the, the parties and I had gone to a bunch of uh, the shows and I was at this one after party and uh, I just had this moment of complete and utter emptiness. And I felt like, you know, this, this isn't it. Like, and, and, you know, everyone from the fashion world was there. It was just very, it was like people were dancing, drinking champagne. And I just felt like this can't be it. This isn't the meaning of life. And what am I doing? And, and so I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I just kind of... Um, kind of felt panicked because I thought, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like I've, this kind of stuff has sustained me for a long, long time, but, but now it's not sustaining me anymore. And I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, how am I going to, how am I going to find meaning or purpose or I don't know what to do? Cause I know God's not an option. So what, I don't know what to do. And so I got back to LA, I came back to LA and, um, got busy with work and then I ended up and six months later I was at a coffee shop in in Silver Lake which is kind of the hipster part of LA and uh, mm-hmm. and I was with my best friend who was gay and we it was kind of our, our our hangout spot on the weekends and we we were sitting there drinking our lattes or whatever cappuccinos and we noticed a table next to us with a group of people, a group of younger people with Bibles on the table. And that was a shocking sight to see because I had never seen a Bible in L.A. in public. Mm-hmm. And so I, we were both kind of like, what is going on? And then they bowed their heads and prayed at a certain point, And we were like, whoa, this is like, are they like going to Jonestown? And like, are they going to drink <laughs> Kool-Aid or something? Like, this is crazy. And, <laughs> and so... We ended up in a conversation with them. They were, they were right next to us. And so we, we kind of, I turned around and I just said, you know, I was kind of curious, you know, actually at that point in my life. I was like, what are you? And so I turned around and I said, what are you guys? Are you guys Christians? What's the deal? What do you believe? And they were like, yeah, we're Christians. And I said, well, tell me what you believe. Because I grew up Catholic. I don't really remember what. I would just tell me what you believe because I don't even know. And. They said they were evangelical Christians. They went to a church in Hollywood. And uh, they explained the gospel. They explained what they believed. And, and I, you know, we talked for a while. It was like an hour or so. And um, and then I got, I got to the real, the $64,000 question. And I said, well, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they, mm-hmm. they said, well, you know, we believe it's a sin. And... And I just, I just remember in that moment, I just kind of accepted that because of that night in Paris six months before, I was kind of like open to just 
being wrong. I was open. I, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe I'm wrong about all of this. Maybe, maybe there's a very, very slim chance that God exists. And there's mm-hmm. an even slimmer chance that if he does exist, that homosexuality is a sin. What, what if I've, mm-hmm. I've hung my hat on this, you know, thing that's completely wrong my whole life. And, you know, maybe these guys are right. Who knows? Like, what do I know? And so anyway, they invited me to church the following Sunday and I, I kind of like said, you know, I was like, well, I don't know if I'll come, but I'll think about it. And so I had a week to think it over. The following Sunday, I, I woke up. I, I just kind of was like, I guess I'm going to church today. And I, I got ready, well, got in my car, drove to this auditorium in Hollywood uh, at this public high school. And I... I just walked in and I didn't, I didn't know what to expect because I had never been to an evangelical church. Yeah. So I didn't know what it was like. I had no idea what it looked like or what it sounded like. I just, I walked in and then there was the Christian worship band was playing. And I remember cringing when I first heard the music. Cause I was like, Oh, Christian music. That's so weird. I forgot <laughs> that existed. <laughs> and then, but then I was like, after a couple seconds, I was like, no, it's actually good. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. And um, then I found a seat up front. I sat by myself and the pastor came out and he started preaching on Romans chapter seven. And he, while he was preaching for an hour, I, uh, this, everything started to just shift inside of me. And he Every word he was saying, every sentence he was saying was resonating as true in my mind, in my heart. And I didn't know why. I just was like, whoa, like, this is true. This is true. Like everything. And it was turning everything I understood about religion on its head. Cause, Mm. and I was like, this is the gospel. Like, wow. Like, this is crazy. And then after the sermon, I mean, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I just was like, so riveted to the sermon and I didn't want him to leave this, this wow. stage. I just wanted him to continue to speak. <laughs> and, uh, he left the stage and there were people on the sides in the, the, in the prayer ministry that, you know, were available to, if you needed prayer for something. And so I, you know, I walked over to this guy on the side of the auditorium and I said, Hey, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he prayed for me and it was, in t- it seemed intense and it seemed very long, but, and then I came back to my seat and people were, you know, standing up and singing and worshiping for the next 30 minutes. And I just sat down on my seat and I was just like, so kind of, I, my, I, my mind was just kind of buzzing. And I just, and then as I was sitting there, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just completely came crashing over me and overwhelmed me and just revealed God revealed himself to me in that moment and it was it was like I just he it was like God said I'm God Jesus is my son heaven's real hell's real the bible's true you're now adopted into my kingdom welcome and I just Mm. started bawling hysterically for like the next 25 minutes I was crying more than I've ever cried in my life and um it was almost like I you know I I I didn't know that at the time, but it was like I had just been born again. And so it was like I was crying like an infant, you know, and it Mm -hmm. was like and uh, 
And I was crying over the sorrow of my sin, but also over just meeting the king of the universe, Jesus. I was so joyful. Mm. And I was like, it was like the curtains were parted and I could finally see the meaning of life. And I was like, whoa, like, I can't believe this is true. I can't believe all of this is true. And, and I was just so just like, I mean, it was like one of the most, it, it was the most amazing moment in my life. And and then I came, it happened again. I, I came home after the service. I got in bed to take a nap because I was so overwhelmed. And God, just like Moses in the cleft of the rock, God revealed more of his glory to me. He like, I just, it was just, it was weird. Out of nowhere, just like the Holy Spirit just like, again, overwhelmed me. And I, wow. I just started immediately crying and I jumped up out of my bed. And in the middle of my bedroom, I was like, God, you have my whole life. I'm done. Like, this is it. Mm. It's like, it's all yours. And I was like, wow. I was like, sign me up. Like, I'm done. And, uh, and I knew, I knew in that moment for sure that not only was homosexuality a sin, but I knew that it was no longer a part of who I was. It was no longer my life. I knew that I was no longer going to date guys, I just, and I didn't care though. It was just like, I just met Jesus and I was like, Hmm. I was like, good riddance to that life. Like this is way better. And so I, uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I was, I was all in that day and still am. So really it was just like a light switch moment, just like, boom, complete shit. Yeah. It was like a road to Damascus moment. Like Paul had, it was just that, that intense. Um, so Yeah. I'm sure that me and, like, half the people listening right now are like, dang, I wish I could have that, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. I want to hear the rest of it. Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty much, and then I, you know, I had to um, tell all of my friends, which was crazy. I mean, these are friends that I had for years, and some of them, as I said, were from high school. So I had been friends with them for so long. We were so, so close. And I had to sit everyone down one at a time and say, I have the craziest thing to tell you. Um, you know, this like, I'm telling like Tatiana von Furstenberg, you know, like, it's like mm. these people, I'm, I'm like, I have something really crazy to tell you. And uh, they're like, you know, are you moving? Like, did you meet someone? I'm like, yeah, I met someone. His name is Jesus. And um and they were like, what? And I just, yeah. And, I, and they were sh- stunned. They were shocked that I was a Christian. And most of them were supportive. But um, others, a couple, a couple got a little bit hostile towards me when I explained the, the gay part. And hmm. I'm still friends with a lot of them. And, and, and now, uh, you know most of them have seen me kind of walk faithfully with the Lord for 10 years. My 10th anniversary is on September 20th in two days. Wow. Um, and so a lot of them just kind of respect that about me. And, um, but most of them are kind of like, you know, I'm glad you found your path kind of thing. I'm glad, I'm glad you're happy, like blah, blah, blah. And, um, and what's cool is like some of them, have actually come to Christ. Um, some of my friends from my past have wow. come to, like a handful of them have come to Christ. So, which has been amazing to see. 
through you or just through other yeah through through me and so that's that's been really really cool to see um so one of my friends who was a gay he was my assistant for years and he uh just came to Christ like 5 months ago and wow, he, that's great. he's totally left that lifestyle and like that that life i don't like to use the word lifestyle cuz it's very Weird. It's a weird word. Um, <laughs> it's like my lifestyle. Because when you're gay, you don't feel like it's a lifestyle because you feel you really feel like it's who you are. So mm-hmm. um, when people say lifestyle, it's very offensive. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. So that was an interesting experience telling all of my friends and and uh, and yeah. That's that's kind of that's how I I met the Lord and it, it's been an incredible journey since then. Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing all that with us. Um, I have so many questions. Um, I guess one of my questions is in the, in your story that you just told us, there, there were kind of like two coming out moments, right? Like you came out first as gay and then later you had to come out as a Christian. And I'm wondering like what the differences were with those two moments. Like you come out to your family um, and your friends when you're, was it after college you said that you came out yeah. to your family? Yeah. Um, so I guess what was that like? And then how did that compare to later telling your Hollywood friends that you're actually yeah. a Christian now? Um, yeah, coming out to my family was not, it was pretty easy. Uh, actually, my sister did it for me. <laughs> she, oh, really? she, she wrote me a letter when I was in Tokyo and asked, basically asked me if I was gay. And, um, I wrote her back and I said, yes, but please don't tell anyone. I'll, you know, when I get home, I'll tell everyone. But, you know, by the time I got home, she had already told my whole family. So she did all the heavy lifting <laughs> for me. I got gotcha. you. So when I got home, um, you know, my mother, she cried and, you know, but she was fine. Like I was the youngest of eight kids. And so they were, they weren't traumatized by it because although they were, my parents were very strong believers and they were, they obviously, they believed that homosexuality was a sin Mm -hmm. and my, but they were, they were, they were sweet about it. They they were very lovely to me about Mm -hmm. it. They, they didn't like, there wasn't any like dramatic scene or like some, they didn't throw me out of the house or, or they didn't like, you know quote Bible verses to me. They just, they were very loving about it. And my, I, I remember my dad came up to me at the house and he just said, you know, Hey Beck, um, is there anything that I did as a father that you're angry about? Like, was I, you know, all, and I was like, dad, no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm gay and it's fine. Like it's totally, it's who I am. And I, you know, I think I even said like, I was born this way. It's totally great it's fine dad don't worry about it and so they were very you know again just because they had so many kids before me (laughs) by the time they got to this like it was just like okay whatever like what can we do and um so my family was was sweet about it which was nice uh Mm -hmm. and um but then when I came out as a Christian in Hollywood it was it was hard. I mean, it was like almost harder to do that than come out as gay to my family and my friends years before. So, yeah, coming out as a it's weird. Like coming out as a Christian now is like 
is almost it's it's akin to coming out as gay twenty five years ago. You know, yeah, it's like mm. you you have to like be in the closet, <laughs> yeah, and like you know, it, it come out to people. But um, so it's it's weird that that now that I'm a Christian, I'm getting. It's almost like I feel just as alienated from the culture as I did when I came out as a gay man. That's what's mm-hmm. so weird. It's like everything is flipped so much that it, yeah. it's, it's almost it's almost harder to come out as a Christian. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, it's something similar. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Mark Sayers or read any of his books, but he says something really interesting about that cultural shift. Um, he said it, he was using it in the context of virginity. Um, and that's something I connected to cause I'm still a virgin. I'm almost 30 and I'm a virgin, you know? And it's funny because like 20 years ago, if you told a secular person like, yeah, I'm a virgin, I'm waiting till marriage to have sex. They'd be like, Oh, like I'm not doing that, but I can respect that. You know, like it seemed like a moral, mm-hmm. like a moral decision. Mm-hmm. Whereas now sometimes sometimes when I tell people like yeah I'm waiting till marriage they're like oh you're just repressed you need to unleash that that's a bad thing and you know it's like it's crazy how that shift has happened yeah the culture is obsessed with sexuality and and everything has to be sexualized and and that's why you know even when I was living as a gay man I you know I just felt this pressure all the time to be Mm-hmm. to to be in a relationship and if I wasn't in a relationship my friends were like oh my gosh we have to set you up like what's going on and why aren't you having sex <laughs> and like it was just this weird pressure yeah. and when I met Jesus I was like oh thank god I don't have to deal with that anymore I don't have to deal with these wow. you know my, one of my friends was Mariska Hargitay who's uh she was she's uh, the star of Law and Order SVU and she she always would, you know, would try to set me up with, with guys. And, and I, it was just like always this weird pressure and I would have to go on these blind dates and it was horrible. And, and I was just like, Oh, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. And so, yeah, I get that. That's so funny. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's limited to, to, to gay people though, either, because I feel like that happens to me like at least once a week too with women. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, you got to meet sure. my niece. Sure. Oh, she'd love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, well, good for you for. By the way, good for you for for like not caving into the culture and and sticking to your convictions. I mean, praise God for that. Oh, thanks, man. Um, it's not easy. It's not. It's not the fun decision most of the time. But um, yeah. But it's the righteous one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me ask you. Um, so you kind of somewhat ended your story at, in 2009 with your conversion. So like after that, um, especially working in L.A. in this like hot spot for progressive culture, for, you know, kind of the, that whole scene. Um, what's it been like working in that environment as a Christian? Um, do you feel like you like hide it or not hide it, but are you no. – um, are you careful? No, I was extreme. Yeah. No, not at all. In fact, I was uh, I was the uh, the opposite extreme. I the right after I got saved, I when I was working on sets and I was, you know, I would work on sets with Oprah and like uh, all these people, I mean everyone you can think of. I just worked on these sets and I was so vocal, Jessica Chastain and um uh just everyone. I can't even think of uh 
uh, who's uh, I can't think of her name now. Uh, Nicole Kidman and I, I just wow. was like super vocal about my faith on the set. I told everyone, I told everyone about my conversion. Um, uh, and what's weird is I thought, oh, like I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to start losing jobs because of this. But what's weird is that I actually started getting more jobs, and hmm. it was almost like God was kind of like I don't know. I mean, it was like God was sort of like I felt like He was blessing me. Just, yeah, and I was I was just super honest with people. Um, like I remember this this guy, this photographer photographer from New York, uh, came to uh, L.A. from for a shoot for an UGG UGG shoot UGG boots, and um, we had worked together before, and and uh, he's he's he saw me and he was like, "Hey Beckett, how are you?" and He's like, how's your life? And I was like, well, yeah, I had, I don't know if you know this, but I had this major conversion to Christianity. And he was like, you can't be gay and Christian. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, David. Like, I'll get to that, like, later in the week because we're working together for five days. But, like, I'll get to that later. But, uh, yes, I'm a Christian, mm. and I'll, I'll explain to you later about the sexuality part. But... But I was super honest, and I told him, and you know, at the end of the week, I told him uh, the the truth about you know homosexuality being a sin, and I didn't live that life anymore. And and but the, what's weird is like, and I worked with like the biggest photographers in the world. I worked with the biggest directors, and a lot of them were gay, and a lot of them were lesbian, and they they knew my story, and I was very open, and they still hired me over and over again. So. Mm. So that was cool. That was cool to see. Um, I was just kind of like, I was fearless, but it wasn't because I intentionally wanted to be fearless. It was because I was so blown away by meeting Jesus. It was kind of like Paul when he met Jesus. It was like, he didn't, Mm. he was so fearless. He just, he just spread the gospel and didn't care what happened to him. Yeah. and that's how I felt. It wasn't even like it wasn't even an effort to to be an uh, evangelist. It was like it came very naturally to me, and because I just wanted to tell people, I'm like, oh my god, oh my gosh, like this is all true. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and you, and um, and so I was very, very, very open about my faith on 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 the set in the workplace. Um, yeah, and I didn't get in trouble until recently, until my book came out. <laughs> and then my agency uh, dropped me as a, wow. as a client. And um, my agency is the biggest agency in the world, and they're with William Morris. They're part of William Morris Endeavor. And they, yeah, they dropped me. And they, they, they said that, you know, they didn't say it was because of the book, but it was just kind of like a weird, the weird, the timing of it was very strange. It was like right after the book came out, they were like, oh, hey, like, you know, things are shifting in in the office and blah, 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 blah. And we think it's best to part professional ways. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I basically lost, yeah, I mean, I kind of lost my career <laughs> over <laughs> the book. Wow. So that happened recently. Yeah. Well, how's the book been doing since it came out? Um, I, well, I mean, it's, I haven't gotten any numbers cause the, my publisher, they don't release sales numbers for a couple of months after the book. Uh, the book just came out July 30th and, um, gotcha. and so I think it's doing, I mean, 
from what I can tell, it's doing well, but you, I don't know the numbers, but um, it seems like it's doing, I mean, and, and I get a lot of messages from people uh, through all different channels, social media and everywhere else, and uh, it seems like it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from it, so yeah. it's, it's been good to... It's been, yeah. That's great. Um, so I haven't, I haven't picked it up myself yet, but would you say that, um, is is it mostly your story or is there a lot of, um, uh, Ethan, go on Amazon.com right now and buy it. Um, no, it's, uh, it is buying it, Um, get it now. Um, (laughs) no, it's, uh, so it's two parts. Uh, the first part is my story. And I go into great depth into my story. Um, you know, it's not just what I told you. It's a, it's a lot more. But And then the second part, part two, is my is kind of theological reflections on the issue of homosexuality. So I, I use um, different passages from the Bible, like the Esau selling his birthright for a single meal and, and the rich young ruler and... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and different stories like that, and I use hmm. those as parallels to this issue hmm. in our culture, and and how how they're very similar in in different ways, and so I I try to, and then the last chapter of my book is is called it's it's basically like a letter to pastors and parents and family members. It's like hmm. this is how like this is how to you know, deal with someone who comes out with you. And this is what, this is what to do. And this is what not to do. Like I, I kind of go through the, the different, um, ways to, to approach it. And so, um, but yeah, I, I try my, my goal with the book is, and I, while I was, I was in seminary while I was, I went to seminary and got my master's in theology at uh, Talbot school of theology at Biola university. And, um, so I was writing the book while I was in seminary and, and the main goal of this book is, is to help the church is to really help the church understand this issue biblically, theologically, culturally, and from someone who's been on both sides of, of the issue and, and really to strengthen, help to strengthen the churches, uh, help to strengthen Christians convictions on this issue because we're being so inundated and blindsided by culture blind and blinded by culture that Christians in the church, as you probably know, I mean, a lot of them are just kind of like falling away or like not believing this is a sin anymore. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, but wait, you have to realize that we're in a very specific place in culture in history in, in time and you have to be aware that you know you're you're being influenced by the culture, and yeah. um, and so I that's what I want people to to really understand and see, and I try to do that in my book and help them see the blind spots that, that maybe they're not seeing, and um, <clears throat> because just like and I talk about this in the book, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in exile in Babylon, and. Basically, they were they were commanded to bow down to culture, to that right. culture, and they refused to do so, even knowing that they were going to go into a fiery furnace. Mm-hmm. And that's as as Christians, we're in, we're exiles in this in in this world, and we have to be willing 
to go into a fiery furnace and not give in to the lies of culture and the lies of, of Satan, really. Uh, mm-hmm. And we have to hold fast to our convictions no matter the cost. And, and, uh, and I just, that's, that's really what, why I wrote the book. Yeah, that's great. Those are cool parallels. I'm excited to look into those. Do you know who Christopher Yuan is? Yes. Yes, I've read, I read his first book. Um, Out of a Far Country? Yes. Uh-huh. Have you uh, looked into his second one yet? I haven't. No, I haven't read it yet. Okay. So I interviewed him right after that book came out a couple months ago. Um, and he has a really interesting take. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, so for those who don't know, Christopher Yuan was actually one of my professors when I was at Moody Bible Institute. Um, and he's also homosexual and celibate and really, really brilliant guy, brilliant communicator. Um, so he just put out his second book called Holy Sexuality. And um, his thesis is basically that there's in our culture that tends to be a dichotomy, like you're gay or you're straight. And that like is your descriptor. And that, you know, that makes its way into the church then as like, um, you know, this Christian is gay, this Christian is straight. And it's like, um, so basically his, um, his thesis would be that we need to shift that mentality from thinking in such a binary, like gay, straight, and instead strive for holy sexuality because that doesn't live within the bounds of a person's, um, attractions. Right. So he actually, one interesting thing that he and I talked about is that he doesn't like the word gay or homosexual to describe a person. He says, I have same sex attractions, but he doesn't say I am gay. Um, he, yes. Cause instead he's going to choose to pursue holy sexuality, which means that right now he is not, uh, having sexual activity with anybody. And in the future, if he does fall in love with a woman, if God, you know, aligns his affections that way, um, and then he has sex within that marriage, that would still be under the umbrella term of holy sexuality. So basically it's, it's living within the appropriate sexual boundaries that you find yourself in, in your stage of life. Right. Right. So for me as a single straight man, um, or I guess you would say opposite attract, opposite sex attracted man, um, like my holy sexuality is to not have sex with anybody right now. Um, same with anybody who's single. Um, and then obviously that changes when you get married to someone of the opposite gender. So what do you think about that? Um, do you think that's too much semantics yeah. or? No, no, I totally agree with his take on that. And I, yeah, the, the goal as you know, the goal, as I think he says, the goal of, you know, conversion to Christianity is not, to become heterosexual, it's to become holy. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I never ever describe myself as a gay Christian. Cause that's a, why would I describe myself with a sinful adjective? Mm. Um, so I, I would never say I'm a homosexual Christian or I'm a gay Christian because that's my old man. Mm. That's my old self. Like <clears throat> Paul describes. And that is no longer, <clears throat> sorry, who I am. Um, my identity is in Christ. It's not in my sexuality. And, and, uh, so it's like, why would you describe yourself as a gossiping Christian or, (laughs) 
or yeah. like a, an adulter, adulterer Christian. Like, you know, you, it just doesn't make any sense to call yourself mm. that. And so I just call myself a right. Christian. Right. <laughs> That's what I am. And uh, my sexuality is so tertiary, uh, if not, you know, whatever. It's just so not a, a, a part of who I Absolutely. am. So, so <laughs> it's like something... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, like you struggle with it. Like I'm a Christian who struggles with looking at porn, right? Um, you would say that you're a Christian who has those attractions. I still, yeah, I still struggle with same sex attraction. However, I, I have to say that, um, by God's grace, you know, when that, on that day I was converted to Christianity, my my uh, my sexual attraction kind of dropped to like from a hundred percent to like ten percent. Hmm. You know, it was like this dramatic decrease. Wow. And and I um, before I was a Christian, sexuality always it dominated my thought life. Hmm. But now it doesn't dominate yeah. my thought life. I rarely think about wow. it, and I don't. It's it's not it's not a, it's not something that controls me or like dominates my life at all. So. So, I mean, praise God. I mean, he had so much grace on that part of my life. Wow. And, and so I, I have no desire to go back. I have no desire to be in a relationship with a guy again mm. ever. Like, I don't want that. And I have no desire to... I just... That, 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 I just... That life... I mean, I look back on that life and... And I see how destructive it was and how... Um, it's really dark. It's a dark world and it's, it's a dangerous life too. And people don't talk about that a lot. It's, there's a lot of danger. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's just, there's a lot of casual sex and there's a lot of drugs and I never got into drugs or anything, but like, it was just, it's a dark world to be in. But, you know, of course the media and the world wants you to think it's this beautiful, amazing Mm. thing. And it's like, it's like a rainbow. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, not really. Uh, all my friends who are quote unquote married my, uh, have open relationships and uh, you know have like, many many partners and uh, hmm. and I you know a week or whatever it is and and um and so I I have no and people ask me a lot you know if I feel like you know if it's unfair that I have to be single for the rest of my life and I'm like no I just I feel. I don't feel cheated out of anything. I feel like the luckiest guy in the hmm. world to to know Jesus Christ, to to have eternal life, to be reconciled to God through Christ. I don't feel ever I never feel <clears throat> I never feel um yeah, like I'm being cheated out of something hmm. or I don't feel bitter about anything. I'm I'm just I feel oh, the only feeling I have <laughs> <laughs> honestly is just pure gratitude. Mm. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have the most amazing relationship with Jesus. And like what, I don't have anything to complain about. Like if I had to live under a bridge for the rest of my life, that's fine. Mm. Wow. I have Jesus Christ. I don't care. So that's awesome. Um, so I guess this is a little more personal question. Um, and you don't have to necessarily have a concrete answer, but what would you ever see yourself? Um, how do you phrase this? Like, should your affection shift in the future? Um, could you see yourself ever marrying a woman and going that direction? Or do you feel like you're pretty solidly celibate till death? I have no idea. 
That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm happy to be single. Paul said in First Corinthians 7, he goes through that whole thing where he says it's better to be single. He wishes everyone could be like him and single. Right, right. And he says, you know, because your your attention isn't divided, you can devote your whole life to the Lord and you don't you're not you're mm-hmm. not just divided with, you know, having a wife and kids and having to to divide your attention that way. And so <clears throat> I'm happy to be single, but but I, you know, who knows? God created the universe. He can change my affection to a woman and that could happen i i've actually heard several people have told me over the years (laughs) they said that um they think that god's gonna bring a woman into my life and i don't know if that's true or Hmm. not but we'll see what happens i i don't know but i'm i'm happy either way i don't it's just i'm fine either way that's great i really love the way that you kind of painted your perspective of like i used to kind of be hounded by this like weight, I guess, of like the or pressure maybe to be in a relationship and to fulfill that expectation. But you instead kind of paint this as like a liberation from that. It's like not. Yeah. If I have Jesus, I have something so much better and I'm free from that pressure or that weight or uh, whatever it is like, you know, and I think that's a really cool perspective that even people like me who are single can can glean from and be like, yeah, like I may want a relationship. But at the same time, I can kind of also just rejoice in the liberation of, like you said in First Corinthians, where Paul's like, no, like you don't have pressure to get married, you know, like both in the ancient Near East and in like the present day, it's like there is so much pressure to be in a relationship of some kind. And um, I think Jesus liberates from that. So that's a really cool perspective you brought up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that's so interesting because you know, we think, I thought I was so liberated as a gay man for the, all those years, but actually I was looking back, I was in slavery. I mean, I was, I was enslaved by that life and I was in bondage, you know, and, it, and now I feel so free. I feel like, like you said, I feel yeah. so liberated, uh, being, being yeah, in Christ. For sure. Um, I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, I have a couple of questions about, how exactly this is something I personally have always struggled with is um, I guess partially just the language because obviously as Christians we want to love gay people we want what's best for them we want them to flourish um, but I, I've often struggled with I guess the language I use like for instance one time in Chicago I was doing some outreach in Boys Town which is where a lot of the gay clubs are and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we were doing a ministry outreach to gay people. And so I was chatting with some of them and, you know, obviously that topic came up really quickly about what does, what do you believe about homosexuality? And I was like, man, like, I don't think it's a, a worse sin than anything else. You know, like, um, I don't believe it's right, but I don't believe that it's like terrible and disgusting and worse than like other sin. They're like, Oh, so you think it's a sin? So you think we're just like murderers? And and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I like like so in other words, I struggle to like say the right thing, even though I'm trying to do it out of love and welcoming and mm-hmm. um, reaching out to people. So I guess do you have any tips or um, advice for people who want to genuinely reach out to same sex attracted people and love them and welcome them into the love of Christ without um, turning them away on accident. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. First, to understand that that homosexuality has become so, such a such an identity that it's hard to separate right, it from the right. person and. And so there's, you know, there's gay pride parades, but there's not greed pride parades. Um, so Sorry, there's not what pride parades? That's really, there's not greed pride oh, parades greed, or yeah. gossip pride parades. There's, there's gay huh. pride parades. Um, and because it's such an identity issue. And so that's, that's a really, it's really tough to, to talk to people who are gay, who identify as gay, because it's really who, and I, I was the same way. I mean, I felt like Christians mm. were the enemy. I, I felt like they were, you know, they didn't understand who I was. And, but one of the ways to answer that question, if someone asks you, you know, well, do you, is homosexuality a sin or blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like, well, let's look at the whole picture. Let's look at the broader picture of, from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation and, and kind of examine God's sexual right. ethic throughout the Bible and, and why, why he even set up this, you know, this kind of covenantal relationship between one man and one woman and how there's safety in that and there's security and there's, you know, you can be, as Tim Keller says, you can be um, naked emotionally, physically, spiritually with that person Mm -hmm. without fear of rejection and and how, um, you know, you flourish in that environment and and anything outside of that dynamic of, of a covenantal marriage is ultimately hmm. destructive and it, you know you see it in so many ways in, in our culture you know uh, people having premarital sex and unwanted pregnancies and and you know uh, the the you know the gay the LGBT, LGBT world you know that that whole dynamic and and how kind of destructive that can be and there's like sexually transmitted diseases. And I mean, it's, there's so much, you know, I look back on, on my life as a gay man and I just, I just see how damaging it was to me emotionally. Like I'm very, like there was, cause it's like, yeah, I was, I was very active sexually. And it's like, it's like that you don't think at the time it's, it's, it's damaging to you or emotionally scarring. But I, now I look back and I'm like, wow, those, like those experiences really had an emotional impact on me. And, and you don't, and, and so that's why you, you can explain that to people. Like, this is why God set up these parameters because he wants, he wants us to flourish and feel safe. And, and you see it all the time. I mean, Look at, like, the news. Look at the Me Too movement. Like, there would be no... Here's the thing. Let me just put it very, just simply. There would be no Me Too movement if everyone in the entire world stuck to God's plan yeah. of sexuality, God's, uh, God's yeah. design of sexuality. There would be no Me Too movement. So that's yeah. how destructive it is to go mm. outside of his design. Yeah. I like... Um, you know, and are you familiar with N.T. Wright? Yes. Um, I like something he's, he once said, like, you can look at the six passages of scripture that mention homosexuality, or you can look at the entire Bible, God's entire design. And even in Genesis 1, um, he creates complementary interworking pieces. He makes dark and light, sun and moon, the water and the land, you know, and these things are complementary because if we just had a world made of water, 
we wouldn't last very long. Same with mm-hmm. if we had ju- like no water and just land, you know. And then even if you look at the first command ever given, it's be fruitful and multiply. Well, how are you going to do that if it, if 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 you're a dude married to another dude or a woman, you know, <laughs> it like, doesn't work. It's just, yeah. so the term I prefer to use, um, in conversations is unnatural. Um, because I feel yeah. like that seems like less like you're a terrible person for doing this and having these attractions. And it's more just like, it, it's not the way that it's meant to function. And yeah, even even Aristotle talked about that about nature with a capital N. It's like hmm. it goes it goes against nature yeah. know, to do this, and and Paul talks about that as well. Obviously, yeah. I mean, that's the adjective he uses in Romans one, right? Like the they exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. So um, if you if you're looking just for the flourishing and uh, the continuing of the human race, you know you're going to have to have uh, heterosexual relationships. <laughs> so yeah, and. People say, you know, people often say to me, you're, they're like, you, you're saying that homosexuality is a sin? I'm like, I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. I didn't make this up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's just funny that, yeah, where we are in culture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, I mean, still, that's got to be hard to be someone who struggles with it, but also to kind of know the truth about that. Like, I'll be honest, like. Um, I hope this isn't offensive to say, but there's so many times I'm just like, man, I'm so grateful. I'm a straight guy, you know, um, Mm -hmm. just because I have the attraction to women and that's something that I'm grateful for. And I thank God for that. But, um, yeah, I think there's something to that. And this, uh, this is probably, this could be a whole nother book, but there's mm -hmm. something to even even as you're saying, like same-sex attraction is even uh, it's unnatural, and and heterosexual attraction is natural. So there's, it's it's almost like I don't know. I it's hard to get into right now, but it, it is there is something just kind of a it's like a double whammy. You know, it's not only it's a sin, but it's also it goes against nature. So it's like this weird hmm. kind of double thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, to still have those attractions, I can't even imagine what that's like, but, um, yeah, it's kind of annoying, but I, the thing <laughs> is, I know the thing is like, I know that there are a lot of people who struggle with same sex attraction who are following Christ and, and it's not, it's, it's a much heavier burden on them. And I, I don't want to diminish oh, yeah. that at all oh, because yeah. I know that a lot of people, it's like a huge, huge struggle for them. And I, and I just, you know, I want people to be aware that I'm aware of that. And I know it's not just like, oh, everything's easy and it's like amazing. Like, I know that, you know, it can, you know, be difficult. And, and I, I, my heart goes out to them and I, and I, you know, the people I know who are going through that, I pray for them all the time because I know that, that I mean, it's like a huge struggle for them. To, mm-hmm. It's like a daily thing of like, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to give in to this? Sin. And I talk about that with Esau. It's like Esau sold his birthright for a single meal and and he wanted to satisfy that his appetite right away. He needed to have his that lentil stew from, from his brother Jacob. Mm-hmm. And he had to have it right then and he was willing to give up his birthright. And I, I see that all the time happening in the church where, where with this issue where, you know, gay guys or what or lesbians or who are 
they just like they they try to fight it and fight it and fight it, but then they just kind of like, Ugh, I can't do this anymore, and they give in. And, and it's to me, it's like selling your birthright for a single mm-hmm. meal. Yeah, yeah, that's a great analogy too. It wasn't that. Um, I read that recently. Was that your Gospel Coalition yeah, article? Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, so the, I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground today, Bennett. Um, or Sorry, Beckett. Uh, I really appreciate you being with me. Anything else you want to leave to the people listening before we wrap it up? Um, just, yeah, I would just say, you know, you know, I've been very strong with kind of being – have having your conviction settled on this issue and having an orthodox historical understanding of homosexuality. But I just w- would say that go out, I mean, have your conviction settled and, and know that this is a sin and be, be very clear about that because the Bible is so clear about it, but go out and love people, go out yes. and love the LGBT community as yeah. much as you can and as generously as you can yeah. and don't condemn them. It's, it's like Billy Graham said, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy spirit's job to convict and it's my job to love. And right. So go yeah. out and love people. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's what I would end with. Yeah. What a great way to end it, man. Um, cool. So this has been my interview with Beckett cook. Beckett just came out with his book, a change of affection, available wherever books are sold except maybe your left-wing bookshop um (laughs) (laughs) but um go check it out uh beckett also has a ton of talks that he's given on youtube um and wherever else interviews that he's done and stuff like that so all around great guy beckett thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate your time and um yeah this is abscond with ethan renault if you want to contact me just go to ethanrenault.com and uh Get in touch with me there. Thanks so much, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Ethan.